Hi, everyone, and welcome to Workplace 2.0, Tango's podcast about all things corporate real estate. Recently, we held our annual Workplace 2.0 Summit, which was chock full of great roundtable discussions and presentations by industry leaders about the return to the office and hybrid work moving forward. We've packaged some of the best sessions as podcasts for those who are more on the go. And if you're interested in listening or watching additional sessions, check out this episode's show notes for details. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to the next roundtable, Space in a Hybrid Workplace. As the name suggests, this next roundtable will explore the impact of the emergence of a hybrid work environment on work itself and how it works today in space. So Tango's Brett Sample will moderate the session and will be joined by some leaders from Arup. Josh, thanks for joining, uh, Impact Group and RY Consulting. So I will turn it over to you, Brett and let you facilitate the discussion. All right, thank you, Bart. Um, well, welcome, I guess, good morning, good afternoon, everyone that, that's on the line. Uh, again, Brett Sample, I'm Vice President of Tango uh, as far as sales goes, and maybe more pertinent to this discussion, I'm the product, uh, product manager for our space management module. I'm joined today by a, a group of incredibly knowledgeable individuals, and I will let them introduce themselves uh, maybe we'll start on the left and go to the right, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Josh. Sure, thank you, Brett. Uh, Josh Kushner, I'm a principal of Arup based in the Bay Area. Um, I lead uh, the consulting practice, which for Arup means um, a whole suite of subject matter experts that cross engineering, planning, advisory. Um, you know, we're focused on the built environment and, uh, you know, my, I'm personally focused on sort of the future of workplace and understanding it. Um, we have a broad suite of clients across many, many markets. So gives us some interesting insight into what, um, what's happening in the marketplace. And, um, and then, uh, you know, our approach is more of a technical or advisory approach of, you know, what, what to do next for our clients. So that's kind of the space that we're in. Great. Thank you, Josh. Simon, you want to take it away? Yeah. Hi. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon, depending on where you are. Where you are. Uh, Simon Davis, I uh, run Workplace Technology for Impact Group. Um, really, the core of what we're trying to achieve in the market is to become or to be an, an agnostic advisor for clients around technology. So trying to understand sort of pain points, issues, concerns, you know, where they have those within their tech stack and, and helping them by recommending and advising uh, on, uh, on the right solution for their uh, specific needs. So excited for this conversation. You know, obviously, the whole uh, space arena has certainly changed considerably, and I think in all likelihood immeasurably for the long term uh, as a result of uh, everything we're going to be doing uh, post-pandemic. So it's going to be a, uh, a fun uh, conversation. So thank you for having me. All right, Bill, last but not least. Uh, thank you. Hello and welcome, everyone. Uh, Bill Gordon, consultant. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, principal at ROI Consulting Group. Uh, we provide uh, consulting and implementation services for workplace solutions. Uh, and certainly in the last year and a half, two years, this topic is where most of our conversations have been drawn towards. Uh, looking forward to contribute to the conversation. All right. Well, let's get started. We've kind of broken this section up into um, 
or this component into three sections. The first one focusing kind of on the hybrid workplace. I've got a number of questions. Um, maybe Simon, if you wouldn't mind starting us off with an answer to this, and then uh, we can pass it along and see if Josh or Bill wants to chime in as well. But uh, uh, I guess first and foremost, where are most of your clients landing on the, co on the concept of hybrid work? And maybe kind of as a second part to it, are your customers giving employees the choice to come back to the office or is it being more dictated to? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a fascinating topic, and there's certainly you know a lot of uh, postulating on on where the industry is going to go. There, there was an article that really annoyed me this morning uh, on the BBC website called you know essentially saying we'll return to a five day work week, and and I personally don't believe that's going to be the case, uh, predominantly because I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing way more employee engagement in terms of those types of decisions. You know, the, the letter that the, uh, the uh, employees at Apple penned to Tim Cook yesterday being a great example. Um, I think, frankly, as, as humans, what we've all wanted for a long time, even pre-pandemic, was choice. And I think what, uh, what's happening as a result of this is people that in the past were maybe told, you know, you can't work in any avenue apart from the office because it just doesn't work now have an argument to say, well, wait a minute, we've just done this for 18 months and, you know, the, the, the roof isn't on fire and, you know, the company hasn't folded. So I think employees are certainly pushing back more in terms of what they want and what they want to see. Uh, and I think that choice factor is certainly something that, that is going to be a key. Uh, you also have to remember that even pre-pandemic, a, a very well-used space was at maybe a 60% utilization. So even before the pandemic, nobody was doing this, you know, five days a week, everybody in the office. So um, I, I, I would certainly see from my clients and, uh, and, and I would also say from contacts in the industry, um, you know, good example, a uh, great speaker you had on earlier, Martin Byrne from Salesforce, you know, their projection is that about 75% of the employees will be in the office two days a week or two days a week or less. Only 5% of employees will be back in the office full term. So uh, I, I certainly think hybrid is here. And, and I think flexible as well. And flexible doesn't necessarily revolve around place, more around giving people the opportunity to work, I would say, when and how they want, um, more than, you know, sort of the, the nine to five in a box that some companies have been, have been used to. So I'm certainly seeing the trend is, is more towards that flexible environment with a combination of likelihood of office, home, and, uh, and some form of third space. Thank you. Well, Bill, anything you feel uh, you'd like to add to that or do you have, uh, happen to see anything different? I am seeing the same thing. I, I, I agree with what was just stated. Uh, I still think it is a fluid situation. You know, what, what we say today, uh, there are the possibilities that it can change uh, a week from now or two weeks from now. Uh, I really look at this as from the beginning, this was a forced experiment uh, for years, even decades. Companies have talked about remote workers and, and people have toyed with it, but doing it at a large scale uh, was sort of forced on us and it worked. Uh, you know, people were more productive. Uh, people are actually working more hours. And if you look at, uh, you know, people... Uh, the property and then profitability and put the three of those together, knowing that people and property are, are the two biggest expenses that any company has, the whole thought of being able to stay with a hybrid model has some cost savings that in the end could mean I can be more competitive because I don't have to raise my rates by reducing costs elsewhere. 
I can uh, stay, retain my clients and build on that. Well, Bill, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself, but I know I'm working more hours, just no, maybe no drive time. So I get maybe three or four more meetings in and uh, <laughs> speaking for myself, that's 100% true. Now, Josh, your uh, client base is quite diverse. Are you seeing the same things? Does it maybe vary by, by industry or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it totally varies by industry, but I mean, we, you know, there's, there's clients that, that have um, been in their offices the whole time. That's a small percentage. There are folks that, um, you know, our financial industry clients in New York, as an example I use, is they uh, ran back into the building as fast as they can as soon as they were allowed to because, you know, that's, that's their culture and their demands and, and some of their technology they use is there as well. And maybe the entertainment industry where you have folks doing, you know, uh, production type stuff they can't do at home after that, um, that, you know, it's, it's been the same where, you know, 10, 2%. I, the, I, the panel earlier that I was moderating, right. At Austin had a, a number around 40% occupancy in their city buildings. New York was 15. Right. And I just got off a call in the Bay area with a client still hovering around two to 5%. So, um, you know, there's, uh, uh, this whole idea about providing choice is um, coming, and I, and I see it as there's a there's something around choice and permission here. And I like what Simon said, where uh, most companies were thinking about flexibility already. They recognized that people were traveling and people weren't in the office, and there was no need to have all these desks already. Um, and I think if you just take that idea of flexibility forward a bit, that's that's probably. Um, the push and pull of the conversation that's happening right now. And over the next three months, as we get to, you know, Labor Day seems to be a moment where everyone's willing to say, you know, we'll be back, whatever back is. Um, I think that uh, there's, um, there's a lot of testing right now of, of employers and employees. What about this model? What about that? I mean, you saw it with Tim Cook and then, you know, you saw Facebook has changed their uh, tune a couple times on, on what their mode of going back to the office is going to be. Um, so it's, it's fluid, it's malleable and it's moving. It's, you know, between this idea that um, productivity will not go up forever remotely, right? So we've had this moment where productivity from working from home has been massively increased over the past year. Has it reached the point where it was as productive as in the office? Will it go past that point? Um, and there's there's people on both sides of this. So you kind of segued me into the next one. Maybe Bill, I'll ask you this one. Um, in your experience, do companies have a handle on what this, you know, this hybrid workplace means for them? Or is this more, are they treating it more of a, as a learning period? Well, most of the companies are, are getting there now. You know, there was a, earlier, there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of indecision. Uh, I am seeing the largest majority of companies going with a hybrid model that they look as permanent. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, the next phase and there'll be a phase after that. Um, they're, they're banking on this is how we're going to work from here forward. And I see a lot of them looking at, okay, what are the adjustments that we need to make uh, and going with a, a hub and spoke model where, uh, you know, the scenario we had before uh, where it was stated by Simon that uh, 
you know, companies saying two days a week is probably the best that we're going to get. Well, those two days that you're in, uh, you need to make the most of those. You want to make the most of those. And just having an assigned seat uh, or a reserved seat isn't good enough. The hub and spoke model is more of creating a whole neighborhood environment where, okay, for those two days a week, let's see if we can get our department in and have the infrastructure in this, this small reservable space that has our conferencing area, our collaboration area, and our, our breakout areas where we can do our own thing, make the most of that time in the office, take that away with us, walk back to our home offices and, and just keep producing. Those magic words, you're on mute. Uh, <laughs> you probably knew what I was going to say, but I was going to say anything you'd like to add to that or, or, or Josh, either one. And maybe, maybe go ahead. I, you know, I, I, I think something that I heard today that, that has been used a little bit, uh, but again, just from, from Martin from Salesforce in your earlier sessions was, you know, talking about intentional purpose. Right. And I, I think that's going to be another thing. I think people are going to start looking more at, you know, why am I going into the office because of there are, you know, other reasons uh, why I might not want to. And there's maybe more reasons now. Um, I mean, it's intriguing what we've been through because I think maybe less so in certain states. I mean, I'm in Arizona and, and frankly, we've not been that terribly impacted from a work perspective. But if you look at something like, uh, you know, the UK, right, the UK is still not really out of lockdown and, and people have been working in an environment where it is still pandemic conditions. I think when people start working post-pandemic and they start being able to do things like see their friends or you know, go to the gym or spend more time with their family, then, then there's going to be even sort of more of that drive that you know, really think about based upon the type of work you're doing, where should you do it? And then if from an office perspective, how should you be utilizing that space? So you know, looking at, I think this year is going to be one of tremendous experimentation for organizations in how are employees using what you're giving them when they come into the office, right? What's the best way to look at that? And, and certainly, you know, data is going to be a big driver in, in understanding the, the benefits of, uh, of how that's worked. Gotcha. So really you're saying too, it's a learning period as well as we go through this. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we used to see again, pre-pandemic, there was a bit more of, let's say in the U S certainly an East West shift in terms of, what they valued about activity-based hybrid or flexible work. Whereas now, again, with what everything has happened, I think, I think one of the biggest pushes is every CFO in the world is going to say, we've done this for 18 months without space, which as Bill mentioned, is one of our largest costs. So give me the, you know, the, the financial justifications for why we need space. There are clearly productivity, cultural, and just social reasons. And I don't believe that, you know, office is ever going to die, but I think just the utilization is going to become more of that intentional purpose as, as opposed to, I have to be in the office at nine because that's what my boss said. So. Yeah. Great, great point. So knowing we're kind of in this learning period, trying period, Josh, do you think that uh, companies are starting to already place longer term bets on how much real estate they need, whether it's expansion, contraction, relocate, or, are they holding steady based on this kind of learning period? Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you're talking about. So if you're a property developer, right, you're only in the business of longer term bets. So, um, you know, some of the early conversations with those folks were, you know, the pandemic is a blip, right? And it's going to pass. And, and, and I don't, it's not even of the time frame that I can really worry about. Um, if you're on the tenant side, you know, I'd imagine... I don't know if it's a hundred percent of firms, but but the large majority are thinking about contraction, right? 
um, and the capacity to do that. Um, I wouldn't imagine anyone's, you know, I've seen a couple huge bets, right? Where people are just saying we're a hundred percent remote now, bang. Um, and uh, we'll see, you know, those are, those are the ones that, that we'll see, you know, first if they pan out um, and, but they're just, you know, there's a there's small number of folks are completely divesting <laughs> Uh, their real estate, if they have that opportunity, um, you know, a small number of folks are just taking long-term capital views on this thing. Most people, I would say, are slowly divesting a little bit and testing the waters. And that's uh, at least at Tango, that's what we're seeing as well with, with our customer base is a lot of holding steady or treading water. And maybe if there's some easy places to, to let go of space, do so. But otherwise, yeah. vacancy. The data we've seen is very occupancy and sorry, vacancy is, is not really moving a lot right now. Now that may change as well, but now occupancy is <laughs> different, but vacancy still up. Okay, well, um, this was great talking about the hybrid workplace, but maybe we can move forward and talk a little bit about some trends. Maybe, Bill, you could start us off, and may, I'd like all three of you to answer this question. We could probably spend 55 minutes on this alone, but what are the top three space trends you're seeing with your customer base and the people you're talking to, Bill, in the return to office? Uh, the first one is is certainly the hybrid workspace, uh, you know, reservations module or solution scheduling solution uh it popped up here and there prior to all of this yeah now i have to say uh it probably pops up 75 percent of of every opportunity that that comes our way uh easily the biggest piece uh another one that is off the radar for a lot of people is with this this plan of staying hybrid um, and the fact that everybody has been out of the office for so long. Uh, do I need to make a change? Can I get rid of all of that file storage that was on the floor and now replace that with lockers? So people can have some stuff they can keep here uh, and not have to bring everything back and forth. And then if, if you have, Things in files, paperwork in files, you can't access that from, from away. We, we've all learned that lesson uh, over the last year and a half. Uh, I think the emerging one that's going to come to play, the, the one unanswered question that nobody has the answer to uh, because we haven't faced it yet, uh, just how important is the physical location from a social standpoint especially after, uh, after what we've gone through with everybody being in a non-social setting. Uh, that may change how our workspace is going to look. Uh, you know, initially when everybody comes back, it, it's just going to be uh, almost obscenely social. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen people in a year and a half. I actually shaved. Look, I've got real clothes on. Uh, that's probably going to die down a little bit. But I suspect that with people still, you know, being at home two, three days a week, coming to work is going to be more of a social event than it was before, more social interaction. Simon, let me know your three trends. Yeah, well, you know, Bill, Bill took a couple of the big cherries there, um, but and, and, and my thoughts were sort of certainly on the technology side. So probably the biggest trend I'm seeing 
is is a massive increase in sensors and and the danger of this is that you know frankly there is not a leader in that market and there's not a product that's that's very well known that can actually manage all of the use cases people are looking at from a sensor perspective i think some of it is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and we have to have these things to track and trend uh, but in reality, you can get a lot of information from from lower cost products or even using existing infrastructure like like badge readers to give you that sense of who is coming back and when. Um, I think the other trend I'm seeing and we'll see more and more of as people do migrate back is uh, a, bit of, a bit of what Bill was saying. But, you know, that sort of whole employee experience perspective of if I'm going to go into the office, I want to know things like, you know, is Josh going to be in? Is there a meeting room available? You know, even what's on the menu and, and what's my commute going to look like? So I'd wrap that all around employee experience. And then the third, which I think is going to be really intriguing, is something that I, I would refer to as sort of flexible strategic planning. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we do, if companies, to Josh's point, do start looking at real estate and potentially divesting of some of it, you're going to have to plan for this, right? If, if everybody in your organization decides, if you decide you're going to go flexible and then everybody wants to come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're not going to be able to get any of the cost benefit. And I'm starting to see tools that can actually take things like third place and, uh, you know, corporate office space and plan and map, you know, for this to be successful, what the right calibration is for teams and individuals so that you could actually maybe have some way of, of understanding, you know, what days and what certain times can individual teams be associated to a third place versus a home versus an office. And I, I don't know how far that's going to go. It could blow up and it could be a blip, but, but I'm intrigued to understand more of the data because if you can get the benefits of flexibility, the cost savings of divesting some of the portfolio and still maintain aspects of culture, productivity and innovation that the office brings and allow people a shorter commute because they have a hub and spoke model of offices, then, then I think that could be the, the golden ticket, but we'll, we'll wait and see. That'd be the win-win for sure. Yeah. All right, um, uh, Josh, any, uh, I know we've got about five of them we've covered here. Any, uh, any trends we haven't talked about so far that you're seeing? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I like what Simon was saying about, you know, sort of the purpose of the office is more about community, right? And searching out where you find that community and it breaks down at the team level. If you don't have everyone there, then you don't have your community and what's the point? I think that's a lot of the conversations that are happening now and sort of a big trend is like implementation of your policy and does it, does it, um, does it stay consistent and, and integrated all the way through working at the team level? Um, so if you go to hub and spoke, you know, what, what does that actually mean for your team getting together and, and how and why you get together? So there's fundamental questions about how we achieve that, that state of community. I'd say that that's sort of trend one, and that's going to be a really interesting dialogue. It's kind of a bit of a wild ride that everyone's working through because certainly you can tell people to go back to the office, but um, the, the purpose and point I think is, is bound up in this idea of who your community is. And, um, and then can you, can you convince everyone to get together at the same time in the same way, I guess, two then is, um, is filtering out this concept of equity um, across uh, people that will be virtual and live. So, whether or not you can figure out how to get together with your community in the office or how you're going to do it. Um, you know, the, 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 the trend, one, one of the trend directions is to figure out how remote and, you know, office workers um, 
uh, you know, have career paths um, that are similar, access to leadership that are similar, all those kinds of conversations. So there's a lot of sociological, anthropological, I think, uh, learnings to happen in the next three to six months that underpin the technology trends and the physical asset trends that, um, you know, there's not a strategy for because you're, you don't know what question you're answering yet exactly. And I think that's where, you know, Simon's mentioned about sensors everywhere and things like that. Like it's, it's not dissimilar to the beginning of the pandemic where everyone's buying plexiglass, right? And then they're like, why do I have all this plexiglass? I spent a million dollars on plexiglass, right? It's a solution without the exact problem. And we're a little bit in danger of, of and, but I think, I think that people got burned on that once. And so I, I'm a little surprised that people are super investing in, in sensors and technology yet because they don't know exactly what they're trying to seek and search for. But I, I see that as the, the next trend once we start to sort that out. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, uh, talking about like career growth or climbing the corporate ladder, talking about being in the office or remote and all of that can certainly play an impact on the best ways to do that moving forward, right? Talking about your growth path within the company. We had a question coming from the audience. I think it's a, a good follow-up on this one. Maybe uh, throw it over to you, Bill. How are you seeing companies managing space and occupancy in this hybrid workplace model? And I know that talks a bit about sensors and such, but what, what's your thought on this? Oh, it's a combination of those. Uh, <laughs> we have some people who are testing sensors prior to this and had to put them on hold because they have nobody in the office to test them. Uh, but they're looking at, as soon as they come back in, expanding on that. Um, it is a critical piece, uh, having some, some type of technology, Internet of Things, that can uh, let you know when people are and, and who those people are. Are uh, so having that integrating with a uh, a scheduling solution or an IWMS solution. Um, also, the reporting, uh, you know, traditional reporting has been on space and assigned seating. Now that there's that requirement of you know from a, a capacity and occupancy, a utilization standpoint, uh, it's hybrid. We've got some people who are checking in and out. We have some people that are here all the time. We need to be able to get our metrics on all of that, get the appropriate KPIs. Um, Simon, anything you would add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think a few things. I mean, you know, one of the trends that I've seen is, is certainly some companies actually struggling to manage this, right? Because if you've gone from an environment previously where you were assigned space, you didn't contemplate, well, what happens when all of a sudden we want everybody to book their space because we need to know if you're in the office or not, right? And then also organizations that may not have had the appropriate level of data around drawings and assignment in order to even manage that. I think there are still companies that day one, it's going to be maybe some big relief we're back, but okay, now what do we have to do in order to, to, to really manage in this new environment, whether it be for contract tracing or whether it be for, you know, a flexible uh, look at the office space. Um, I, I am seeing some companies that, that traditionally were more focused around, you know, everybody get to desk, uh, definitely looking at hybrid uh, capabilities using neighborhoods, and, you know, giving departments, divisions uh, an allocation of desks based on what their projections may be and allowing them to manage 
you know, does Brett have a desk and are, are Bill and Simon part of a team that are that are more flexible because they're never in the office? And, you know, what is the right makeup of, of conference rooms and of shared spaces and breakouts based on those sort of neighborhood assignments? And and it's it's a trend, I think, that makes sense and, and that we may see continue because really the people who best understand how those groups work are those groups and the people that manage those groups. So I think, you know, the, the downside of having a, a large macro corporate policy is it's not going to be applicable for every individual team. As Josh mentioned, you know, if I'm a high-end investment bankers with six, you know, with six monitors, I have to come into the office, right? If I'm a marketing or HR or, or like I am sales, maybe I'm not going to be in the office as much. So I think it's understanding the personas of workers and applying that to the space and then utilizing techno- technology in order to understand if the hypothesis that you've gone for is correct. And then, you know, being able to adjust and move to, to give the, the maximum use of, of what you're uh, going to you know, offer to, to uh, employees going forward. Simon, are you saying that this might go down to like the manager level within a group, within a company? I think it can, yeah. Depending on the, depending upon the size, I mean, I, th- I think you'll probably see sort of a you know a macro assignment and understanding of uh, you know how much or how often should or could somebody be be in a space based upon the type of role, um, and you know what what does that really mean? But then from a managerial perspective, they know the sort of the the foibles and intricacies of their own teams. I mean, as an example, as a twenty three year old living in London, you know, I, I lived in a, a five bedroom house with seven other guys. Lots of fun stories about that. I'll tell you a different time. But the biggest thing from a work perspective is I would actually, maybe people would perceive that this is somebody who could work remotely, but I couldn't because of the noise and the amount of people in the house, right? So for me, at that level of my career, I would have preferred to be in the office every single day. And I think that's the level that, that you have to think about assignment. It's, it's you know related to job duties, tasks, and skills. But I think there'll also be a degree of, understanding you know what that individual's personal circumstances are in terms of how flexible they are to work and can they work you know in in this new environment um josh i'll switch gears just a little bit on this one but uh it seems uh it seems everyone expects the hybrid office to play a less critical role about me or an individual person and a more important uh like we or us more of a collaborative do you agree and how will companies meet the challenge of this collaborative space, you know, need or requirement in the office? Yeah, um, I, I think that's that's certainly the the big expectation, right? Is is if we've proven we can work from anywhere largely and be productive, the place where we need to go back to so that we can be with our with our people, right? We're going to be looking at physical changes that support that. Now, you know, do people want to get stuffed into a three hour meeting in a 15 or 50 person meeting room that was designed shoulder to shoulder anymore? I think these are interesting questions that, you know, um, that's maybe where people are going to look for a sensor to say, you know, we have fresh air in the space or something like that. and, you know, so I think there are responses, both moving around the furniture, moving around walls, and then eventually, uh, and, you know, implementing the technology and sort of putting the bells and whistles on sort of what, what that user experience wants or needs to be going forward. You know, if we have four people in the room and a little tiny screen that the next four people who are not in the room <laughs> are trying to talk through, right, there's all, there's all kinds of issues. So I think 
there's um, there's a moment here for for facilities management really to adapt approaches that have already been used in design, you know, design of buildings, design and software architecture, right? Like, you know, you need to know what you're designing for. So there, I, I don't know how many one size fit all approaches there's going to be um, to, to tackling the, the we part of it. I mean, you can certainly say less desks. Um, that's a, kind of a no brainer right now, but, but how to facilitate better collaboration, I think is, is going to be a really interesting learning experience and, and differ uh, potentially greatly, right? Depending on that culture um, and the, uh, the type of people you have. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have to see what people do and, and see what works. At least from uh, Tango's perspective, our customers, we're not actually seeing a lot of people making massive changes to floor plans maybe a 10%, if you will, right? Uh, actually proactively going out and saying, we're gonna make massive changes. Simon, are you, you know, uh, you talk to a lot of people in addition to having customers existing. What are you hearing? Are people modifying it or keeping it as is and waiting to see how it plays out? I think a lot of it is very much still wait and see. You know, I think people are, are sort of managing to, to guidelines right now. And, and I think most organizations or the large companies that I'm working with are, you know, looking at different, uh, different sort of phases as they bring people back. And then they're going to see what happens, right? So phase one, maybe we bring in 20%. So who are the most critical 20% to bring in? And then, of course, looking at how many of those 20% are actually coming in. And, you know, it's an area you can then start looking at, you know, what amenities, what areas are they using more than others? And I think, I think we're, you know, we're going to have to ramp up probably to 50, 60% before companies will start investing any money in making significant changes to those footprints, um, you know, because we don't know yet, right? Um, you know, I think to Josh's point, uh, a couple of things that I think we will see is certainly taking advantage of, you know, some of those components and thoughts around design. We've all... Everybody on this phone, I don't, you know, no matter whom you are, we've all been in a scenario where you walk into an office and there's an eight person conference room and there's one person camped out in there, right? That's the design aesthetic. That's the design issue. But it's a, it's a, or sorry, a design guidelines issue potentially. And of course, teaching people how to use the space. But I think the same sense is that people will start investing in to understand, you know, still um, enforcement of social distancing rules and how many people are physically coming into the office and, you know, is a floor busy and therefore I want to go on a different floor as a short-term use case, that same technology can be then utilized to say, okay, you know what, we're building a new building. And actually based on all of our data, you know, our six-person conference rooms are only used by more than three people 25% of the time. So should we really be building six-person conference rooms in that way. And for me, that's where you have to think on the technical investment is, you know, if you are investing in something like sensors, don't just look at the short-term potential. Look at, is this something that we can use longer-term as a business driver and as a, as a decision point? Right, right. I mean, I know when I go to the office, I go to the office to collaborate, but I also want yeah. my desk. You know, you can't collaborate the whole time. So, from Again, that means you need that collaboration space that those people that are in the office also need a seat to go to. So how does that affect that total square footage and so forth? Um, I guess, Bill, I've got a question for you. Are you seeing any of your customers shut down areas of buildings, um, floors within the building to, to consolidate people either temporarily to save money, anything like that? So it, it ties into the last question and, and talking about real estate earlier. I am seeing some people doing that. I, I call it hedging their bets as opposed to making a decision to 
fully relinquish real estate. I, I do have some clients who are looking at not changing the physical layout, but changing it from being assignable to reservable and mothballing a floor or two of a building uh, so that they can save on some utilities. And then as, as they learn more about what the new workspace has to be, perhaps those are opportunities to reconfigure those and then, and then mothball some others or in the future uh, relinquish some space. That is not uh, the bulk of our clients. I'd say about a third are entertaining, thinking about that with a small handful starting to execute that now. I I was looking at, at the Tango building and we have a number of floors with, with with other tenants in it as well. And throughout the whole pandemic, that thing was was burning bright with lights and air conditioning, you know, at in Texas, right? <laughs> at uh, um, a lot of AC blowing out with absolutely not a person in there. So I'm not sure how many people actually tried to, to save any money during that. But everything we're talking about so far is talking about what might come in the future, what might happen, how much space we're going to need. And really that's going to boil down to, at least for me, kind of technology and data. So maybe we can segue over to some questions talking about um, the technology uh, in particular. And um, I guess, Simon, I'll, I'll jump to you. What types of technology are you seeing companies invest in uh, as part of their return to office? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to sort of follow on from what I was saying earlier, Brett, there's, there's, there's really those two areas that people are looking at, right? One is what do we need as more of a, a tactical solution to address the immediate impact of the pandemic? You know, frankly, what things do we need to have available? What data do we need to have? What capabilities do we need to have to make people feel more comfortable for coming into the office? Because the one thing that nobody's really addressed in all of this, uh, when people sort of make these macro judgments about whether or not people come in, is is that human impact of, you know, you have to make your employees feel comfortable to come in. And what does that take? Does that take being able to show somebody that, you know, the office isn't very densely packed? Does that take having technology to help you, you know, almost book an elevator in advance so you're not going to be too packed in? I think some of these concerns are starting to alleviate, or I would assume, you know, based on, you know, vaccinations in, in certain parts of the country and the world. Um, but but in my mind, that sort of, you know, is 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 kind of like a first phase that we're, we're probably partway through, right, is looking at, okay, what, what do we need short term? Second phase, and I'll talk about this on my session tomorrow, is kind of looking at, okay, now we are back in whatever new terms we're back in, you know, from a technology roadmap perspective, how fit for purpose is our tech based on what we're doing now? You know, if we're going from an environment where we were one-to-one seats to people, and we're now going to an environment that's more hybrid or even considering that, can the technology that we have in place support that? Uh, and I think that's, again, is something that people maybe have not thought about necessarily yet is, you know, how will that work, right? Does the space management solution you have, for example, does it fit that, pe- that purpose and that need? Um, I think we'll also then look at some additional capabilities around things like workplace experience and providing more data to, to individuals. You know, we're, we're almost going from a position where, certainly from the FM side, what used to be a very back out office, keep out of the way service is now going to be way more front and center. So technology to show me that if I walk up to the desk, when was it last cleaned, right? Technology to show me how occupied are the restrooms. They're, they're things that could pervade over more and more, I think, into, into the industry. And then the final part is really looking at, as I mentioned, those sort of, you know, those future technologies. So what, what are we looking at in terms of our strategies and organization to support the, the employee needs and, and the new models that we might be developing 
for work. So, um, you know, a lot to unpack there. But yeah, I think there's there's, there's the model of um, immediate needs, the model of how do we modify our existing stack, and then you know what are we looking at for the future based upon all of those aspects of of change of um, you know change of almost sort of the the cultural aspects of how a company may run. Yeah, and none of those are easy. So each one of those topics individually is a no. challenge. Right? Yeah, it is a challenge. And it's, you know, and it's a challenge, I think, that, that's made even more complicated for the average user and consumer by the fact that the market, by virtue of the interest, has gotten so big over the last 12 months. The amount of products out there, the amount of solutions, then you take into consideration consolidations of companies, investments in companies. It makes it difficult for, for people to understand exactly what they really need from a tech perspective. Um, don't get me started on, on vested interests now that you know you have service providers inventing in te- investing in technology that they're then promoting, you know, which is even taking away more and more the traditional role of, of being you know, a, a trusted advisor. And uh, I do, I think the, I think the market's incredibly complex uh, right now and, and is going to get even more so before it maybe levels off. Hey, um, Josh, I was going to ask you the same question, but uh, feel free to either answer technology you think they'll need to invest in or potentially a, a, a question from the audience. And that is how complicated do you think this becomes for companies that are operating globally? with potentially very diverse uh, responses to COVID and requirements by law and things like that. Yeah, that most of my clients do sort of, if not global, have certainly national, you know, uh, footprints. Even nationally, right? It can be quite different. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, I I think that at the outset, it may not... um, well, it depends on how standard you're trying to create the experience for the people in your offices over your entire footprint, right? So if you start with the the idea that you want it to be consistent, right? I think that um, the 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 number one has to be around uh, taking the cloud-based you know collaboration tools that we've relied on for a year and integrating that into your office space in in sensible ways. And if you think about what we had to do here in your home office, right? You had to, well, people need to see my face. I need to figure out the lighting. I need to, you know, figure out a better microphone. I need to figure out a better camera, right? Well, turn that into the office again, right? So there's there's ways that we're gonna have to work through making plug and play access to these cloud-based, you know, communication services and plug and play decent lighting, plug and play microphones, right? Just the capacity to have the type of meeting that we have now in the office often isn't there. And then um, the, the, the ability to sort of have that in, in your ad hoc, you know, meetings when, when, you know, it's, it's not, it may not be the mode anymore where you work at your desk, you, you, you meet in the meeting rooms. So I think, I think there's something around that to, to try to provide the type of flexibility just to give the office experience. It's, you know, it's kind of bizarre, but we're trying to take some of the home experience that we've worked on and make it as easy in the office, which often it's not like, if you think about, you know, at the beginning of this, Everyone had their mute button, you know, couldn't figure that out, couldn't figure out how to share their screen, anything like that. I think we'll do this in some ways. Going back to the office, nothing works. 
Um, so we'll, we'll have to fix that as the priority. And, and I think on a global scale, that's kind of mission one, if you, if you have a, a, a large um, footprint. Um, you know, after that, I think depends on your, your goals, right? So if your goals are around health and wellness in the office and things like that, you, you're going to be seeing, you know, experimentation with CO2 sensors and things like that. Unfortunately, there's no standards. There's no real level and threshold of how much is a good health and safe building. So I think that's going to kind of wobble around for, for quite some time now until there's better guidance and standards around it. So um, that's going to be, uh, I think, a big discussion point for, for global companies is like, how much do I invest in technology for health and wellness when I don't know when to stop? How much is, how much is enough? Um, and I think the other part that, that won't go away is sustainability is a giant theme for, for our, our clients who are global and national. They're looking to drop their energy use. They're looking to drop their, their carbon footprint. So, um, you know, that was the promise of technology in the office. I think before the pandemic was the capacity to understand space utilization, drop energy use, drop carbon, um, you know, increase productivity in the space that you actually have. So hopefully, um, you know, the better technology we're integrating, um, the aspects around those sustainability goals come back into focus again. All right, thank you. Hey, Bill, any, any other types of technology that Simon and then Josh haven't really talked about that you've seen your customers investing in? And if you have any thoughts to that, uh, I know some of your guys' customers are, are global as well. And it is certainly a juggling act if you're trying to compare an Arizona or a Texas, what you can do with, you know, something maybe in India right now or, or elsewhere in, in the world. Right. So I, I'm going to approach this from the facility management standpoint. You know, I've been in facilities management for, for close to 40 years. I, I've been doing facility management solutions for uh, a little over 25. And in the last six months, there's been a dynamic shift. I, I, uh, you know, contrary to what Simon's experiencing, uh, we are finding that all of our clients and all the people that we're talking to are exploring their technology. You know, 35 years ago, up to six months ago, every facility manager's dream was to be able to get somebody on the C-suite's ear. And it's been, yeah, I've got to go through this person, this person, this person, this person. All of this happened uh, those same facility managers are asked, do you have this data? No, I don't. Uh, I think the C-suite has become so involved now uh, with all this change and how important it is. They're actually sitting in on the presentations and demos, something we had never seen before. And they're taking a hard look. If, if the solution they have, whatever it be, the technical solution they have, is it doing it? they're ready to say, okay, let's find something that does. And the other piece they're doing is, okay, we're gonna choose this. It takes, it does a great job at three to things. It does a so-so job at the other two. Okay, we'll use it for the three things. Let's find something else for the other two that does a great job and integrate with those. Uh, the internet of things is, is become more and more powerful now where companies are realizing trying to get something that does a good job at a bunch of things and a great job at a few isn't good enough. So, you know, let's find something that does a great job at everything and then bring all the data to a common place so we can report, do the metrics and confirm that we're making the right decisions. 
So you're, if I asked you just yes, no answer, or IoT devices a must, you'd say yes? Yes. Even, even knowing the fact, you know, that Simon mentioned earlier that there are a myriad of, of offerings out there, each one that really does provides one piece of information very well, but doesn't cover, you know, talking about LIDAR versus, uh, you know, a desk sensor, right? They're very different animals. Yeah, you have to find the right solution. But the reality is, if I come into my desk that I reserved, put my stuff down, and I'm not at that desk for the entire eight hours, then why should it show up that I occupied that space? I did not. And, you know, if that multiplies, it multiplies, it multiplies, you've got bad data. Yep. Yeah, understood. And Simon, I'll try to give you a hard one here, but uh, what's the top workplace technology that companies should be focusing on now that they're not? Maybe there isn't an answer to this, but can you think of anything that most companies should be doing right now that you're simply not seeing? Oh, that is a, it's, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I think it goes back to having fit for purpose solutions to help make the right decisions truly on, you know, the different use cases across um, occupancy. So, you know, to Bill's point, looking at things like, uh, you know, proof of life and, and, and real technologies that can actually help and actually come back and say, you know what, Bill's desk has had a chair and a coat on it for eight hours. He's not there. So why does he have a desk? Um, you know, and I think from my perspective, if, if you look at the big players in the sensor market, it's traditionally been, you know, we can either do entry egress or we can do, we can check if you're in the seat or not, right? And, and for me, the solutions that are going to win out need to be way less hardware focused. You know, you've got real traditional hardware vendors trying to sell products. And I think the biggest winner in the whole workplace utilization, which is the missing point, is going to be a product that can actually assimilate data from a multitude of different IoT devices that can also bring in things like air quality and temperature and, you know, those other aspects as well. So, yeah, to, to, to answer the question, what do I think is missing? I, I really think as sort of truly uh, democratized workplace uh, analytics platform uh, is, is where, you know, companies need to start looking. And, and I think there's a golden opportunity for, for technology vendors in building that and making it available, but not making it specific to certain sensors. So. Just an aggregator, if you will, or something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of like, you know, we, we've seen, I think in the last couple of years, uh, you know, we've seen a growing trend around data visualization and, and business intelligence that can aggregate data from a multitude of systems. The same premise would apply. And uh, I, I think that that is something we'll see a lot more of. Josh, anything that you, uh, any thoughts around um, technology that companies aren't using? So the same question that Simon got. I mean, I, I think I completely agree with Simon about, you know, the, the downfall of all the solutions that are out there is proprietariness and interoperability. And, uh, you know, it, it won't stop until we can get to a common data pool situation where we can know that what we're buying, we can scrape the data off it, and then we can use, yeah, the, the analytics platforms of choice. And then those analytic, I mean, the, the analytical platforms are getting better and better and better every day and more user-friendly every day and really dropping the, the, the obstacle to use down from you know, computer software engineers to just smart people to, to, to normal people who, can, who try to interface with it. So that's, that's working usefully, but they can't access the data and you can't get it out. And, uh, and you can't even write an RFP to, um, 
to necessarily uh, get what you're asking for. So, that, so there's a huge gap there, I'd say, um, but hopefully it will close pretty soon. And then we can really start to leverage the, the analytics side um, and start to do automation and things of that nature that we, we, we can't do. And then you end up backing into, okay, then I just need a cheap sensor to do this last thing because I got three sensors to do this thing and they all aggregate to the same place, right? I, um, so, so that's, I, I, I think it's a very sensible vision. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, anything else, um, I think there's interest in augmented reality and to understand if, if there's a aspect of that that takes what we're doing now to another level of presence, right? And if we're, we're gonna continue to have um, a big portion of our interaction with clients, a big portion of our interaction with teams um, outside of our coworkers, and we're not necessarily bringing everyone to our office the way we used to. We've all, I think, agreed that Teams and Zoom and these things, they, they serve utility, but they're actually not the best place to engage with everyone. And there's VR and AR um, you know, I'd say kind of very early stage things that you can imagine getting to a place where you have a better sense of presence, a better sense of being with everybody. And that might, you know, help move the needle a bit to this problem where we aren't getting collaboration, we aren't getting community. So that's an interesting place. I don't think it's a must have, but I think it's a must keep an eye on. Well, I can tell our time's up with Bart popping on here. I just wanted to take this last second and, and thank you. Thanks all three of you, Bill, Simon, and Josh. Um, it was great having you guys on. It's always nice when we can get people that uh, have been in the industry forever and, and clearly know this stuff, stuff like the back of their hands. So, so thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts with us. Thanks for listening to this session from Tango's Workplace 2.0 Summit. For more sessions from the summit, check out the show notes for details.